How awesome is it that Jesus Christ was born? How awesome is that? How glorious, magnificent, Nate's trying to add some drama to the moments. How glorious and magnificent and worthy of praise is God that He sent His Son to dwell among us. I hope that you could go on and on talking about and singing about and praising God about how awesome He is this morning for these events of Christmas. But what do you do, what do you do, like actually do with your life to magnify the magnificence of God? How do you display to yourself and to others how awesome God is? Our passage today is going to point us to this response. Magnify the Lord by rejoicing in His work in you and through you. Magnify the Lord. Show how awesome He is by rejoicing in the Lord in His work in you and through you. The story we're going to read today and look at today is Mary, Jesus' mother. We're going to read and examine how Luke records this uh, magnificent event in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to join me in Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hard-covered black one somewhere nearby uh, under the seats in front of you most likely. Luke chapter 1. In this story, Mary is going to have a significant transformation in her attitude about the coming of the, Mas- of the Savior, of the Messiah. All right? So she's going to have a significant transformation in her attitude. And that transformation is going to lead her into song-inspiring rejoicing in God her Savior. And so, my prayer for you is that you experience a very similar transformation. That this shift, this transformation would lead you into all-filled, God-exalting, joyous song to the Lord. It's my goal this morning. That you would magnify the Lord by rejoicing in His work in you and through you. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's um, pregnancy, which we're actually not going to cover that part of the story, but if you're wondering sixth month of what, that's the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall... Call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm, and He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are glorious. Lord, you are worthy of praise. This event of You, Jesus, the Son of God, coming to dwell among us is magnificent. So Lord, we ask that You would lead us to sing praise songs to You with our thoughts and with our actions and with our voices. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Magnify the Lord by rejoicing in His work in you and through 
you. In this story, like I said, we're going to see Mary go through a transition. But this transition is not going to be what you might think it would be. You might think, ah, most transitions that I think of go from bad to good. Or they go from bad to a little bit better. That's not actually what we're going to see in Mary's transition. Instead, Mary actually begins our story in a really good place. And then she ends in a significantly better place. She goes from a really good place to a beautifully amazing place. And as we move through our story, we're going to make three major movements together through the story. But we're going to begin with how we start. How we start. So the question we want to start with is, where do you begin this story? Where do you begin? Where do you begin the journey this morning? How are you magnifying the Lord this morning? How have you done so over the past week? Is your life a one of rejoicing in the Lord and in His glorious work in your life? And trusting that God just might do something in you and through you. Let's look at Mary for a moment and where she begins the story. Things that we learn throughout the story that are true about Mary when Luke introduces us to her. You see, it seems that a few things are true about what Mary believes. Things that are in her head, her knowledge. And we see that her knowledge is actually in a really good place. You see, we learn that Mary knew the Bible. She knew the promises of God. Mary knew that she, as a Jewish believer of God, was looking for the long-awaited Savior of the world. Mary also knew that she was completely unnecessary in the plans of God. She was completely unnecessary for God to fulfill His purpose. She instead saw herself primarily, if not exclusively, as a person who needed to receive the grace and the mercy of God herself. She needed God to act on her behalf. She seems to have wrestled through a term that I came upon uh, recently. She seems to have wrestled upon this idea of her cosmic insignificance. The reality that God did not need her to do anything. Lastly, Mary saw herself as completely unworthy of being a part of God's plan for salvation for others. If she just looked at herself and who she was and what was required for God to bring about His good purposes, she would have seen herself as unworthy to be a part of that. This is where Mary begins our story. She is theologically and intellectually accurate. Her knowledge was in the right place. So the question is, where do you start today? Where are you beginning our journey this morning? Do you know the Bible? Do you know the big truths of the Bible? Do you know that God promised and has now sent a Savior into our world to save everyone who would believe in Him? Do you know that? Do you know that you... You need the grace and the mercy of God. Right? Not, not that you're cool and everybody else needs the grace and mercy of God, but that you need 
the grace and the mercy of God. And you actually need it every single day. Do you realize that? Do you know the reality that you are completely unnecessary in God's sovereign plans? You're unnecessary. You're not needed. God does not need you to accomplish His purposes. You realize just how unworthy you are to be used by God for His good purposes. Truly understanding and grasping these things that Mary, a teenage young woman in the first century grasped, is a really good starting point for us. To realize these truths that we need to start our transformation. If you're not there, if you're like, man, I have some hang-ups on some of those things, this is a good place to learn those things. We'd love to talk to you about those things. Right? We want to learn these things, these truths of the Scriptures. But head knowledge is not all that's required of us. Right? That's just the starting point for Mary. It's just a starting point of what God has for us today. This is the required head knowledge. It's that God is God. You are not. You need God. God doesn't need you. If I could summarize it as succinctly as possible. But now what we're going to see from that, those ideas, we're going to see the first movement that Mary goes through. And this is a movement that you and I need as well. We see it in verses 26 through 45. Verses 26 through 45. Move from knowledge to obedience. Move from knowledge to obedience. Now we're ready to get into the story. Mary's first movement is from her intellect into her obedience. So look at the story. These first 20 verses, verses 26 through 45, they are just full of surprises. I think for a lot of us, this story is really familiar to us, and so there's no real surprises that hit us. But I want you to like think through some of these things as though you're hearing them for the first time. The angel Gabriel shows up and makes an announcement to Mary. You're like, okay, yeah, I get that. No, no, no. Think through this for a moment. The angel Gabriel comes from the presence of the Lord with an announcement. The announcement that he has is that the long-awaited Savior of the world, the Son of the Most High, the One who will sit on the throne of His Father David, and He will sit there forever, the One whose kingdom will have no end, right? That guy is going to come. The way He's going to come is He's going to be born as a baby to a woman. Surprise number one, right? Like, what? Hang on. The, the Son of God, the One who's going to rule on the throne forever and ever, is going to enter into the womb of a woman, be completely dependent on her for all earthly needs that He has for many months. That's the first surprise. Well, the surprises continue. Where did the angel Gabriel come to deliver this message? Well, it says that He came to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I'm sure most of us could not point out Nazareth on a map, so it is obscure to us. It was also obscure to the original audience of Luke. Um, The people of Jesus' day would say regularly, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so this angel comes from the Lord 
with this amazing message that the Savior of the world is going to be born as a baby, and He comes with this message to Nazareth. Okay? Well, who's the woman who's going to bear such a responsibility to birth the Savior? Who will Gabriel go to with this message? More surprises. He goes to Mary. A teenage girl, most likely. She is unmarried, and she has never been with a man. Surprise after surprise after surprise after surprise. And so Mary, despite her strong intellect, despite her strong knowledge of what is happening in the great scheme of the Lord's plans, she has to wrestle with these matters. Notice in verse 29. Verse 29, she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be that she's the favored one of the Lord. Then in verse 34, after hearing more about what was going to happen, in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? She's got some questions. Gabriel answers a little bit of the particulars about how this is going to be, but he really summarizes all of it in verse 37 that nothing will be impossible with God. It's a beautiful statement that Gabriel summarizes the whole thing with. Listen, the point of all of this is that nothing is going to be impossible for the Lord. And you just need to continue to have faith that nothing is going to be impossible for the Lord. As soon as Mary hears that, and Luke records it without missing a beat, Mary responds in verse 38, She responds, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary is going to obey the work that God has for her. She is the Lord's servant. She is going to walk according to the word of the Lord. So the question is, do you believe that God is doing something? Do you believe that God is in the midst of fulfilling all of His promises to save and redeem His people? And are you obeying God's Word in your life? When you read instructions in the Bible, and there are many, when you read the instructions of the Bible, are you quick to obey? Are you quick to say, I am the Lord's servant. I'm going to do according to what the Lord has for me as this really small piece in this really big plan. Are you regularly and consistently and quick to obey the Word of the Lord? I want to let you in on a little secret. It's not really a secret, but it might feel like one you have no clue what 2024 is going to hold for you. No clue. You have no idea what 2024 will hold for you. Perhaps some of you have walked in here believing that you know the future. You know what the Lord has for you. Perhaps you have a 5-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 20-year plan. And you're like, well, certainly I can plan out one year of my life. You can't. 
do not presume that you can. If I may be so bold, let me offer you your first resolution for 2024. Perhaps you're like, I don't make New Year's resolutions. Well, when you hear this one, maybe you'll, you'll at least adopt one for 2024. It's verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Make that your resolution. Make that your resolution for the rest of 2023. Make that the, your resolution for all of 2024. Make that your resolution for the rest of this life. Whatever life the Lord has for you moving forward from here, resolve that you will be the Lord's servants and that you will do according to what His Word tells you to do. The move that we need to make is from knowledge, from intellect, from knowing the right things to obeying the Lord. Doing what He says. This is a necessary step in our transformation. James writes later on in the New Testament, he writes, ah, you believe that God is one, you do well. But, he says, even the demons believe they have intellectual knowledge and they shudder at the intellectual knowledge, but they're not saved. To be saved, we must move from intellect, understanding, belief in our heads, and we must respond in obedience to the Lord. It's the first movement we must make. We must move from knowledge to obedience. And yet, you may think, ah, okay, cool. Transition complete. Transition complete. But our journey of transformation is actually not over with that very important, that very necessary shift from knowledge into obedience. You see, Mary's transformation is not yet over. It did not stop with knowing the right things in her head. It moved to obedience. And yet, it's not going to stop with obedience either. Mary's transformation is actually going to touch her hearts. Mary moved from jo- moved to joy-filled, awe-filled worship. The end of our passage, Mary sings a song. It is a Scripture-rich song. It is a theologically sound song. It is dripping with all kinds of doctrine and themes that are literally all over the Bible. Part of me wants to have like a two-hour class this afternoon where we just grab some of the threads in this teenage girl's song and just pull them all throughout the Scriptures. This is her song. It's, it's rich. It is full of doctrine. Lots of echoes from really what we just did the last two weeks in the book of Habakkuk. Mary magnifies the Lord by rejoicing in His glorious work in her and through her. And so the second movement that we need this morning, the second movement, is to move from obedience to song-filled rejoicing. Move from obedience to song-filled rejoicing. One of the barriers that you have to seeing God and one of the barriers that maybe other people have in seeing God through you is that you're just as miserable and angry and disgruntled as the rest of the world. 
one of the big uh, condemnations of the people of Israel in the Old Testament is that they grumble. Go search that word sometime in the Old Testament. Grumble. It's all over the place. The people grumbled. They grumbled. God did this amazing thing, and then they get this like one little hiccup in life, and they grumble. They grumble to their leaders. They grumble to the Lord. They just grumble. Perhaps that's one of the problems of our society and so-called Christians in our societies. We just grumble. We're just as disgruntled and angry as everybody else. So let us look to Mary and see her example of rejoicing in the Lord. Look at her song. I just want to point out a few things about this song. It's amazing. In verse 46 and 47, read with how it starts. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary magnifies the Lord by rejoicing in God, her Savior. Ah, think about that. A child of God rejoicing in the God of her salvation. Does that sound familiar? Those of you who were here last week as we finished up the book of Habakkuk and we saw Habakkuk rejoicing in the Lord who is His salvation, now we see Mary rejoicing in the God of her salvation. Mary rejoices in the Lord. She rejoices by obeying Him. She rejoices by praising Him. And then we, we wonder, well, what has created this awe and wonder that has caused Mary to burst into song? Notice verse 48 and following. Verse 48, For or because He, the Lord, has looked on the humble estate of His servant, that's her, for behold, from now on all generations will call me, Mary, blessed, For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Mary is in awe. Mary is flabbergasted that the Lord would use someone like her to do something so amazing like birth the Savior of His people. Mary is convinced that what is about to happen to her is going to cause people to worship her instead of God. You see, Elizabeth almost does that, doesn't she? Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit and she calls out to Mary, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Of, of your womb. She finishes by saying, Ah, what is good is that you've believed in the promises of God in verse uh, 45. She almost goes there. But Mary seems to have this concern that people are going to worship her instead of worship God. And frankly, the Roman Catholic Church is guilty of doing just that. I know many of you have grown up in Roman Catholicism. And uh, in that tradition, Mary is almost deified. She's almost added into the Godhead as worthy of worship the person that would probably have the most problem with that is Mary herself. Like, don't do that. Worship God. The whole point of this song is actually to reflect any praise that might come towards her and reflect it to the Lord. She keeps calling herself one of humble estate. She keeps seeing herself as one who is low that the Lord has exalted. 
And she keeps pointing the praise back to the Lord. She wants everyone who hears this story to turn from worshiping her as awesome and start worshiping the Lord as awesome. Mary is in awe that God would ever use someone like her. Someone as normal, someone as unimpressive as her. She praises God that He's powerful enough to do great things for her and great things through her. And then notice the song takes a little bit of a shift in verse 50. She feels like she's amazed that the Lord would do these great things for her. Verse 50, she says, and there's more. The Lord's mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary says, this amazing thing that's happened to me, this, this is available to everybody from generation to generation. Everyone who fears the Lord. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, just as He had spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Mary knows that the truths of the Lord, the promises of God, are available to everyone who fears the Lord. Everyone who fears the Lord. God's mercy is not for the proud. God's mercy is not for those who think they have it all together and don't need God. That is not who the mercy of the Lord is for. The Lord actually, she says, scatters the proud. She says the Lord has actually brought low those who are mighty on their thrones. And instead, God's mercy is for those who fear Him, those who honor Him, those who seek Him with awe and wonder that He deserves. God exalts those of humble estate. God fills the hungry with good things. God helps His servants. These truths are for everyone who fears the Lord. Everyone who has faith in the Lord like Abraham. Generation after generation after generation after generation. You see these movements in Mary's life in just this short story? She started the story with good, true, big, intellectual understandings about who God was, what His plan was. She had the proper knowledge. And then she moved. She learned what God would require of her. And she resolved to obey the Lord. She moved from intellectual knowledge to obedience of the Lord. And then, she moved into joy. She moved into rejoicing the Lord. Mary does not get to the end of verse 38. I'm your servant. Let me do according to your word. And then walk off grumbling under her breath, head down, just mumbling like a kid that's just been told to go clean their room. That's not what happens. She worships the Lord. She worships the Lord in joy. And so the question we have to ask is, where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Do you know that God is bringing about salvation for all who trust in Him? 
who all, all who believe in him. Do you know that? Do you intellectually get how this works? If you don't, I would love to talk to you after the service. There's lots of people in here who would love to talk to you after the service about what in the world God is doing to bring about the salvation of his people. But do you understand? Do you see? Do you have it in your mind that God is doing this to bring about the salvation of his people? Do you realize that you're a person that desperately needs that salvation from the Lord? You're like, okay, if God is saving people, I know I need saved. And then do you realize that, that if you place your faith and your hope in Jesus, that you can obtain that salvation by just placing your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ? That that salvation can come to you. And then as you do so, are you obeying God with the good works that He has prepared before you? Ephesians 2.10 says that God has good works that He has prepared in advance for the Christians to do. And so if you're a Christian this morning, one of your goals in life is to figure out what are the good works that God has prepared beforehand for me to walk in. As one writer said, find out what God is doing and join Him in it. You don't have to make all these plans for 2024. You don't have to make a 5-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 20-year plan or anything else. Just be obedient to what God has for your life. Are you obeying God and the good works that He has prepared before you? And lastly, are you praising God in all-filled, joy-filled, might add accurate worship that He would save a wretch like you? Do you worship God for that? Do you sing out to God that He would do that? And are you praising God that He has offered this same mercy, these same joys that you're experiencing to anyone and everyone who would look to Him for those same joys? Or are there people that you like kind of segment off as like unredeemable? Ah, these... Surely God doesn't mean to save these people, right? That person that kind of gets under your skin, surely God's message isn't for them. The person who annoys you at work, surely that message isn't for them. Your spouse that maybe is a frustration to you right now, surely the message isn't for them. Are you praising God that He's offered the same mercy that He offered to you to other people? And He might actually use you to bring the message to them? Where are you in this journey? Again, the big idea for us this morning is magnify the Lord by rejoicing in His glorious work in you and through you. I'd like to conclude this morning by... um, I don't know if it's quite a movement that we need to make, but maybe just a refinement of that last movement. So again, the movements, we start with intellectual affirmation of the truths of God. We move to obedience to do what the Lord tells us to do, but not just begrudged obedience, right? We actually have joy-filled, all-filled, song-filled obedience to the Lord. But there's a nuance of that last one that I think in our context, in our society, we may be prone to miss. And that is this, that you should sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. It's a very specific response in this passage and in the Bible as a whole. 
perhaps it's veiled to you. I think uh, I'm, I'm comfortable blaming your culture on that. Uh, I don't always want to blame your culture on that, but uh, we've messed up singing as a culture. This has been veiled to me far longer than uh, I wish it was, but our response should be to sing to the Lord. You see, our passage last week and the week before was examining the conclusion of the book of Habakkuk. And the prophet Habakkuk responded to the Lord and all the things the Lord was going to do, he responded in song. He wrote a song. He sang a song. It was a joy-filled song. It was a theologically rich song. It was sung to the Lord. That's how Habakkuk ended all the stuff that was happening with him. This week, Mary responds to the Lord with joy-filled song, theologically rich song, sung to the Lord who is her salvation. If you keep reading in Luke's Gospel, you don't have to get very far. You only have to get down to verse 68 of uh, the first chapter. And you will notice that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, actually erupts into song as well. So he's going to sing. Oh, by the way, his song is joy-filled and it is theologically rich as well. Luke chapter 2, the passage that's going to be preached uh, next Sunday morning, Christmas Eve Sunday morning, and we read a portion of it this morning. Luke chapter 2, a multitude of the heavenly hosts will sing a joy-filled, theologically rich, albeit much shorter than the other songs, still joy-filled, still theologically rich. They're going to sing a song to the Lord. These are powerful examples that we are prone to miss. We who are the people of God and read the Scriptures, did you know that we're commanded to sing approximately 50 times in the Bible? 50 times. We're commanded to sing. Instructed to sing. That doesn't even include the examples of singing, all the songs that are in the Bible, anything else. We are commanded, we are instructed to sing approximately 50 times in the Bible. And yet, we as Americans generally, and American Christians specifically, have really messed up singing. Let me give an example. You see, we do it wrong. We have turned singing into an activity that is reserved for professionals. Look at our national anthem, right? So we'll just kind of leave it out of church for a second. Let's just look at our national anthem. What happens typically when our national anthem is performed in America? We all stand. We close our mouths. We might mouth the words, but usually we close our mouths and we watch a professional sing. And on the biggest stages, we, we announce that there's a professional coming to the stage. There's a professional. This is a national recording artist. This is a six-time Grammy-nominated recording artist. This is the professional. And he or she is going to show off their professionalism, their ability to sing in ways that, frankly, most of us never will. If not, all of us never will. And what we're communicating is, ah, this singing is for the professionals. You all stand there and appreciate the vocal genius of the person who is there. Just appreciate it. You ever watch the Olympics? You ever watch the World Cup? Not every country does that. 
Some countries, every single citizen of that country sings out with full voice and full vigor and just sings out in pride for their nation. Now, my point is not to sing the national anthem loudly, and we're certainly not going to conclude that way this morning. That would be inappropriate for the moment. But a lot of that mindset has, for some reason, wandered its way into churches. And we somehow communicate that the singing is for the professionals. Now, we don't really do that very well here because we don't have any professionals that stand up here and sing. We're all just normal people who stand up here and sing, and we're all just normal people out there who stand up and sing. But I want you to see this beautiful example of Mary and join her in it. Mary is a most likely teenage girl from the first century. And Mary is a singer. She's a singer. And Mary is a songwriter. Mary is a singer-songwriter. Like, wow, that's pretty amazing. There is zero indication in all of Scripture. There is zero indication in history. There is zero indication in church tradition that Mary was a professional musician. And yet, she's a singer-songwriter. Isn't that amazing? Anybody written a song? Don't raise your hand, but uh, I I would love to hear afterwards. Anybody written a song this week? We don't do it. In the old days, Christians used to write songs all the time. Just normal people. Just write poetry, write songs, and sing them to one another. I think it was Charles Wesley wrote something like 6,000 hymns in his life. Do the math on that. It's like three a week for a really long time that he's writing. Now, not all of them were good. You write 6,000 songs, not all of them are going to be good. But guess what? A few of them are really good, and we sing a lot of them. Mary is a singer, she's a songwriter, she is not a professional. Brothers and sisters, we need to sing to the Lord. Sure, we need to start with head knowledge, it's necessary. We need to move to obedience, yes, that too is necessary. Then we need to move to rejoicing, not just begrudged obedience. God is not magnified in your begrudged obedience. You're just grumbling through life. God is not honored in that. God is not honored in your grumbling. But we really need to get to the place where we can sing to the Lord truly, accurately, and full of joy with a life that responds in joy-filled song. So, How should we respond to this passage? I feel like we should sing. Let's go ahead and stand. Normally we end in prayer. Mary ends in prayer and her prayer is a song. It's a song of praise. It's a song of joy. So we want to stand up and sing. When you sing, you need air. So take a deep breath right before we start. Fill your belly with air, and then you have to open your mouth. One thing that's interesting about Americans when we sing, especially American men, is we sing like this, and we don't ever open our mouths. Think of the very end of Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody watch that yet this year? Charlie Brown Christmas. At the very end, their mouths are like wide open, right? Uh, We need to take a deep breath and open our mouths.